That's the Cupid shuffle, right? There's, when, when the song comes on, now forever, you'll, you'll kind of know the moves. But the preacher in Hebrews, he's not doing the Cupid shuffle. He's doing the high priest shuffle. He wants to play this other track that, he, that, he's, that he's about to give us. He wants to play over and over and over again because when it's playing, the preacher's heart begins to dance and he wants your heart to dance as well. So he's going to sing a new song countlessly to us over the next uh, few chapters. Let me just show you um, Hebrews chapter 4 in a, in a comparison between Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not sure if all of you can see this, but everyone say inclusio for me. Inclusio. Inclusio is a biblical studies word which stresses kind of what's happening. In our passage in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16, we're beginning a new section in Hebrews on uh, the great high priest. We're going to keep hitting that note over and over and over again till, till we get to chapter 10. And I'm not sure if you can see this, but in chapter 10, we have almost the exact same wording shows up that's going to show up this morning. That's what biblical scholars call an inclusio. It's a way to, it's like a sandwich. It's like you begin and end a section to let people know everything in here is all about this topic. And so that's what, um, it's, it's all about like this is the song that we're going to be playing. What that means is over the next five months, as we listen to the words of these next five chapters, this high priest stuff, we are in effect learning the high priest shuffle. It's not a pop song. It's, it's really a theology song. It's, it's not meant to just make your feet move to the right and to the left, but it's meant to make your heart sing to your Savior. So if we hear it enough, by the time we get to Hebrews chapter 10 and the volume turns up and that DJ preacher says for the final time, Jesus is our high priest. When he gets there, all of us should just really love that truth so much that we could just like step out into the dance floor and just dance like no one is, is watching and, you know, sing like no one is listening. Like we're just, we're just there and we just, we know the song and we know the moves and we're just getting into it. And if that happens, I think that's going to be pretty significant because I'm guessing that right now, hardly any of us, if we're honest, really even cares. Hardly any of us would dance to the high priest shuffle. We haven't really heard it before and we have certainly never danced to it. We're not even sure that it's a, it's a good song. We're not even sure we'd want to dance to a song like that. We may say, so what? Why would I care that I have a high priest? Do I even want a high priest? Maybe some of you want some brownie points. So you say, don't I already know a few good pastors who work at Holden Chapel? Aren't two pastors enough for me? Maybe that's a little bit too much for me. Do I really need another priest in my life? Is that really what this world needs? A, another high priest? The preacher in Hebrews is going to say, absolutely. He will show us how silly our ignorance is, but this morning, we're really only just going to get a preview of this. This short, this short passage is simply meant to just whet our appetites, kind of uh, just, just really intensify our interest in the topic. These are really going to be like breadcrumbs. He's leading us somewhere, something even much bigger, because more is coming on this topic, believe me. So as a preview of the coming attraction... Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 are the first notes to get your head moving and your heart beating just a little bit quicker. It's meant to get you up and in position to start to begin to dance. 
So let's get into one of the most groovy, one of the most bumping, one of the most enlightening passages in all of Scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 14. I hope you're looking at it on your phone or in the Bible. We also have this part on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus isn't just a high priest. Jesus isn't just a great priest. Jesus is a great high priest. That is redundant on purpose, church. That starting position, that starting step is not an accident. Really, in those days, you might have heard about a great priest. You might have heard about, you definitely would have heard about a high priest, but no one in the history of that world had ever talked about someone as a great high priest. It's another reminder, Jesus is not just in the biblical hall of fame. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Jesus, he's the greatest pastor this world has ever known. I hope I'm pretty cool to at least a few of you. Sincerely, I hope a few of you don't mind me too much. And I'm sure all of you are convinced that Pastor Tom is awesome. But even both of our pastoring, you put the best of, of the best of what both of us can offer. Both of us, what we can give simply pales in comparison to the pastoring that Jesus can do for you. I hate to burst your bubble, but while all earthly pastors are made in the image of God, Jesus is the son of God. Billy Graham preached to the millions, but Jesus preaches to the billions. Some pastors have churches in the thousands, but in Jesus's cosmic sanctuary, thousands can fit just in the front row. This is the great high priest. He has passed through the heavens. Did you see that? The high priest in the Old Testament, they could pass through the veil in their temples, which was the most special inner place. Only the high priest could go in there one time during the year. But Jesus, he's saying, passes through the real thing. That phrase you see in the English there, who has passed through It's from a Greek participle, which is in the perfect tense, which means we are talking about a continuous experience. That particular translation from the ESV makes it seem like this is a one and done thing that Jesus does, but that would not be the case. The verse means Jesus is walking through heaven constantly. His full, he has full access to all of heaven's power, all of heaven's benefits, and, and it's like a continuous reality for Jesus. And Jesus isn't like a hoarder. He doesn't take all that power and, and, and hold it for himself or hide it in the back room. He puts all of it to use for the people that he loves, which is the church, which is you. So don't miss this. As an earthly pastor, I can only point you to Jesus. But Jesus can bring you to heaven. I've heard about heaven, but Jesus built heaven. All I can do before the throne is bow my knees, but Jesus sits on the throne and receives our praise. I get to go to heaven, but Jesus is in charge of heaven. Jesus is the landlord. Jesus has the keys. This Jesus, he is our high priest, which means any amount that we experience Jesus today, and we can experience him today, that equates to a miraculous inbreaking of heaven on earth. Jesus is able to bring a divine miracle onto earth because he's walking through those streets. He has that access that he can pour out. To say Jesus is in heaven 
And that heaven is, is, is another way to say that heaven is real and heaven is closer than you think. Some of us feel so far from that place, but Jesus is close. Therefore, it says, let us hold fast our, what's that word? Confession. That word uh, confession can also be uh, confidence. It's sometimes translated as fearless witness or public confession or tenacious endurance. Notice this isn't a line just for the extroverts only. Those of us who like to talk and like to be bubbly and like to be loud and like to share all of our thoughts and our feelings. This isn't just for those of us who have evangelistic gifts and and God has given us something special so that we can share with people. No, this is a command for everyone. Let us hold fast our confession or our confidence. This is, this is really a command for all of us. Be confident in Christ is what it's saying. Even if you're soft-spoken, even if you are introverted, even if you are shy, even if you don't like the limelight, no matter, if you are in Christ, you can cling to the confidence that Christ provides for you. And believe me, when you have godly confidence, people notice that. They look at that. They say, what is that? Non-Christians notice that. They notice godly confidence and they, they like it. It's like a miracle that they're looking at. It's a little bit of heaven on earth. They don't have access to it. So, so it starts to make them curious. What is that that you have? If you can keep walking with Christ through the end of COVID, we're getting to the end eventually, and all the while you keep your faith, people are going to start asking you some questions because no one is outside the reach of God's confidence. And people need to see that and people need to recognize that we need to hear that whether you are a loud person, whether you are a quiet person, Christ's confidence is for all believers, not just a select few. This confidence that the preacher speaks about or this confession, it's much deeper than a temporary feeling or like a high that you get for a second. Actually, this confidence, it's given to us by God as part of our Christian identity. We don't drum it up by going through certain rituals. Not at all. This kind of confidence can only be given to us by by God himself. And then as we become a follower of God, we receive that confidence deep within us. And once we receive godly confidence or that confession, it becomes our natural and unstoppable mood as we follow God. It becomes the, 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 the mood that we're in. It's the mood of the dance. Even when our circumstances are less than ideal. Regardless, Jesus is still sitting on that throne. He's still in heaven. The preacher in Hebrews would ask, how can we not be confident if our spiritual identity is in Jesus and we have 24-7 access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords all the time? How can we not be confident then to do the calling that God has for us? That's an interesting word to hear during COVID. I think the book of Hebrews is really a direct challenge to our, our apathy and our spiritual laziness, and our passivity, and our tendency to look down on ourselves. I think this is a challenge to that. If if you have been feeling that these last few months, this verse is meant to challenge us out of that mindset for good. Sometimes we are insecure. 
We sometimes feel like we don't match up. I feel like I am not significant, so I'm just going to sit this one out. Oftentimes, we slink back. Maybe because of the past mistakes we've made or the wounds that we have experienced. We tend to feel shame. Sometimes we tend to feel guilt. Sometimes we tend to feel fear. So we hide in the shadows. We tiptoe around and we whisper and we hang our head. And into that environment, Hebrew says over and over again, cling to your confidence. Hold on to your faith. Make a move. Speak the truth. Take the next step. Do God's thing. Walk in the spirit. It's time to go. It's time to stand up. It's time to move. It's time to get into some action. We've been sitting for quite a while. Don't believe the lie that you are a nobody, that you are a hack, or you are unimportant, or you can't do it. You know, I, I, I think we feel this all the time. I'm too young. I'm too young. I can't do this. I'm too old. I can't do this. I'm too white. I can't do this. I'm too black. I can't do this. We have all of these. I'm too this. I'm too that. And it gets in the way of us clinging to that confidence. No, no, no. God has placed each one of you here for a particular reason. And as followers of Jesus, we are all a part of God's body. So cling to this confidence. Some of us are God's toes and we help balance the body and some of us are God's heart and some of us are God's head and some of us are God's hands, but all of us are equally important. So hold tight to that confidence in Christ. Cowardice is canceled. There you go, kids. There's your fill in the blank. In Christ, cowardice is canceled. Rather than being ashamed of our God, rather than holding back, rather than just being quiet and tipping, tiptoeing around, we are to advertise our God to the world. This is the dance that we're supposed to be dancing to. The first Hebrews needed to hear this. Church, I think we need to hear this. This is the perfect time for us to wake up a little bit, wake up from our nap. Now, I don't think this means we become cocky or we become, we become like ridiculous or showy as if it's all about us, but it does mean you are so convinced of God's power and goodness that you are no longer afraid of what the world can do to you. When Jesus is working in your life, that's what literally begins to happen. You actually start to live that way. And the barriers start to look smaller and smaller. You're just less intimidated. You're just like, let's go. Let's, let's find a way to make it happen. Church, all of that is just in verse 14. Can you imagine? That's just verse 14. This is why I say at some point in the next five months, Jesus' high priesthood is going to blow your mind and it's going to make your heart sing. I'll be shocked if it doesn't. Scripture is so beautiful. Hopefully we are on to a good start. Let's move on to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Look at it in your Bibles. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Church, this verse is meant to shock you, shock you and shock me out of our seats. It is, it is saying this, whatever you've gone through, Aiden, whatever you have gone through, Nicole, Whatever you have gone through, Sarah, whatever you have gone through, Jesus has gone through more. Jesus has gone through more. Jesus' battle, 
Richard was harder than yours. Why do I say that? And why is that important? Let me point you to the words of one theologian who helps us understand this on a deeper level. His name is William Barclay, and he wrote a phenomenal little commentary on Hebrews. Here's what he says. Here's how he describes it. Listen to these words. He says, quote, We fall to temptation long before the tempter has put out the whole of his power. We never know temptation at its fiercest because we fall long before that stage is reached. But Jesus was tempted far beyond anything we might experience. For in Jesus' case, the tempter put everything he possessed into the attack. He says, think of it in terms of pain. There is a degree of pain which the human can stand. And then when this degree is passed, a person loses consciousness. It is the same with temptation. Faced with temptation, here's what he says, we collapse. But Jesus went to our limit of temptation and far beyond it and still did not collapse. All that to say Jesus has been in your shoes and he gets you a hundred percent. Jesus' struggles, they were no mere like theatrical demonstration as if Christ were some unfeeling block of Play-Doh or like some thing of wood, like a statue made of wood. No, Jesus took on real flesh Real blood, he was fully God and fully human at the same time. Like us, Jesus had to toddle like a baby before he could walk like an adult. And when he became an adult, Jesus dealt with pain and anguish and shame and sadness and grief more than all of us have combined. Take all of the pain that we've experienced in our life, put all of that into this this little piece, and Jesus dealt with more. This means Jesus doesn't just understand your struggles from like an intellectual standpoint. No, that would not be enough. That would be to say Jesus like understands you or that Jesus is empathic. That doesn't even scratch the surface, church. No, Jesus' real connection with us goes much deeper. Much deeper with you, Richard. Jesus feels your pain when you feel it because the pain that you feel is the same as Jesus felt. The word in that verse is sympathy. The verb was used of a bond similar to a mother with her nursing child. Or maybe just between the love between family members. You think about the way that you love your family so much. That's the word that it's describing. It is an emotional connection. Jesus shares your experiences of pain. Because he's literally felt the same things that you have felt. Have you ever thought about that? I was thinking a lot about that this week. Jesus has felt the exact pain that I have felt in my life. Jesus, he's not, he's not mad at us for that. He's not confused. He's not surprised. He, he loves to help the helpless. And as Jesus as, enters into your suffering and he makes it his own, you experience a level of therapy that you'll never be able to experience with any other human ever. Praise God for good therapists in this world who we can go to and they can help us wrestle with our pain. But Jesus is the ultimate therapist. To, to, to be, just imagine that to be heard on that level, to, to be, to be on, on that deepest level of your soul, that's the stuff you don't even know how to talk about it with, with your therapist, with your counselor, with your pastor, with your friend. That's, that's the really deep stuff. You, you can't even articulate it. But that stuff, that stuff, Jesus has words for that. 
Jesus feels that. Jesus gets that 100%. To be known like that, to be understood like that, what, what Hebrews is saying is, is, is if we have a high priest, then we have someone like that. We have someone who is not distant from us. He is not aloof. Jesus is closer to you than your best friend. He never ignores you. He never misunderstands you or the situations that you're in. Totally gets it. He's there 100% right away. I like how Philip Hughes puts it in his commentary. It's so wonderful. He says it like this. He says, what we and they needed was not a fellow loser, but we needed a winner. Not one who shares our defeat, but one who is able to lead us to victory. We don't need a sinner. We need a savior. And that's who Jesus is. He comes all the way down to that deepest level of stuff. And now he's just right with you. Totally emotionally connected to you. All this reminds me of the scene from the West Wing. Any of you seen that show, The West Wing? When the White House Chief of Staff, Leo McGarry, he reaches out to his deputy, Josh Lyman, who is struggling with PTSD. Leo tells him a parable. It goes like this. This guy's walking down the street when he falls down a hole. And the walls are so steep that the guy can't get out. So now he's stuck in this, in this hole. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription and throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a religious man comes along, and the guy in the hole shouts, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer. He throws it down in the hole and moves on. But then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? He says. And the friend jumps in the hole. And our guy says, Are you stupid? Now we're both down here stuck together. And the friend says, yeah, but I've, do- I've been down here before, and I know how to get out. That, my friends, is the type of friend that we have in Jesus. Jesus doesn't just throw down a prescription or a prayer. Jesus throws himself into the ditch. And Jesus shows you the way out. Jesus loves to help us. And that is exactly the picture we get in Hebrews 4.16. Look at it in your Bible. Look at it in your phone. Look at what it says, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an encouragement, church. Drawing near to God is meant to be a moment-by-moment experience. We are to do it as often as we need to do it. Do it hundreds of times. Do it thousands of times. Do it millions of times. Don't ever stop drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence, the author is saying. The verse says Jesus will help you in your time of need, which means right in the nick of time, right when we need it the most, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The door of Jesus' office is open, so come on in. Is this true even after you yelled at your spouse? Is this true even after you gained another five pounds? Is this true even after you looked at that internet site? 
Is this true even after you cheated on that test? Is it true even after you lied and you stole and you cheated and you were selfish? Yes, especially in those moments. Don't ever stop drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence. But if you're like me, the, the thought of, of drawing near to someone on a throne is, is a really intimidating picture. The thought of God's gaze kind of chills my bones. Anyone else? Speaking personally, how difficult is it for me just to be real and honest and vulnerable before other humans? I've told some of you this before. One of the most difficult questions for me to answer is when someone comes up to me and says, Mike, how are you doing? That is a really complicated question for me. That's a really difficult question for me because if I'm going to answer that, I got to really tell you how I'm really doing. And that's very difficult for me to do. And that's just with, that's just with humans. That's just with you. And I, and we're, we're close and we, and we love each other and, and we have this openness. So this, this, on this text, it's a whole new level. This is being totally honest before the high priest of heaven. How are you doing? How are you doing? And to be able to tell God that honestly, I'd rather crawl around in the shadows than draw near to God's holy, perfect light. But I think that means I don't yet believe. I think that means I don't yet know. I think that means I have not learned the high priest dance yet. Rather than being afraid, we are to boldly approach. Because Jesus isn't sitting there ready to pounce on our failures, ready to push our sin in our faces, ready to throw down the hammer, ready to, Jesus is not going to lecture you to all oblivion. He's not going to raise his voice in anger. No. What does Jesus hold as he's on that throne? Did you see that picture? Of all the tools Jesus could, could choose to hold on that big, fancy, powerful throne, Jesus holds mercy. And what's the other thing that Jesus holds? Grace. Jesus is up there in all that power, all that understanding, and he's holding mercy and he's holding grace. He uses his power to withhold the judgment that you deserve. And he's got a never-ending pile of spiritual gifts to distribute. And what if we don't know what to say in God's presence? Imagine if you did this. Imagine if you went to God and, and you're just like, you, you, didn't know how, you didn't know how to put it. You didn't know what to say. God, how am I even supposed to start? I don't even know the first step. Well, no worries. Romans 8.26 says the Spirit will help us and will give us the words to say. What if we are a bunch of failures? What if we are a bunch of sinners? What if we are a bunch of ruthless runaways? No worries. Christ's sacrifice makes us pure. The more desperate our situation, the more wonderful are God's provisions. That is the gospel. Psalm 26 says this, hear this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Imagine if that were true of us, church. Imagine if we really did cling to the confidence that Christ has for us. What would happen in our community? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our lives? What would happen in our family? What would happen in our church? Let's just be real as we conclude. Rather than drawing near, I think we tend to draw back. Anyone agree with me? Rather than drawing near, we tend to draw 
back. I think our timidity, our fear, our hesitation, our anxiety, our worry, our slowness proves we are not yet dancing to the high priest song. We've got to put this track on repeat in the weeks to come, church. We've got to hear this. We've got to hear it. We've got to let it sink in. If we do, I think our hearts are going to begin to sing and our feet will start to move to the right, to the right, to the right, to the right, to the left, to the left, to the left, just where Jesus wants us to go. And we're going to smile and we're going to dance and we're going to celebrate because the sound of God's truth will become beautiful to our ears. I want to end with a story that highlights just the truths of this passage. It's a true story. As a 17-year-old girl, Anne Graham Lotz was involved in a car accident, speeding carelessly down a windy mountain road. She smashed into the car of her neighbor, Mrs. Pickery. Anne was afraid to tell her father, Billy Graham, about the incident, so for the rest of the day, she avoided him. Any of you ever been there? I have been in a few car accidents myself. When she finally came home, Anne tried to tip her tiptoe around her dad, you know, tried to avoid, avoid her dad when she got in the house, but there he was standing in the kitchen waiting for her. Anne tells the rest of the story. She says, I paused what seemed for a very long moment, frozen in time. And then I ran to him and I threw my arms around my father's neck. I told him about the wreck, how I had, how I had driven too fast and I smashed into the neighbor's car. I told him it wasn't her fault, it was all my fault. And as I wept on his shoulder, he said four things to me. He said, number one, Anne, I knew all about your wreck. Miss Pickery came up and told me the whole story. I was just waiting for you to come up and tell me yourself. Number two, hey, Anne, I love you. Number three, Anne, we can fix the car. And number four, Anne, you're going to be a better driver because of what happened. She concludes, sooner or later, all of us will be involved in some sort of wreck. It may be your own fault or it might be someone else's, but when the damage is your fault, it's a good chance you'll be confronted with the flashing lights of the morality police. But my father taught me a deeper lesson that day of what it means to experience the loving, forgiving embrace of my heavenly father in the moment of my desperation. Church, that is how our high priest responds to us in our moments of deepest pain. In our questions, in our doubts, in our failures, in our struggles, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace then we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word which gets us moving. God, we can get so comfortable in the place of sitting and being afraid and in our anxiety we stop sensing your presence and we begin to slink back. But Jesus, your word really commands us as believers to cling to the confidence that we have in Christ, cling to our confession. Because Jesus, you have been all the places that we have been, all of the struggles, God, you have been in there, you feel that same pain that we feel, you, you know what it was like to have that same tendency to hesitate. And you 
Encourage us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. God, help us to see you as you really are. God, not, not as someone who wants to throw down the hammer, not as someone who wants to lecture us, not as someone who wants to hold justice against us, God, but you give us your grace and your mercy. And God, if we could get that into our hearts, we'll begin to dance. Our hearts will begin to sing and we'll be able to worship you with abandon, God. We'll be able to live out the calling that you have for us. So Jesus, would you begin to do this work in us as we begin to explore this theme over the next five months and the next five chapters? What does it mean that we have a great high priest? What does that mean for our life and how can that change the way that we walk? Jesus, show us the way. We thank you for this time that we've had in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.